if you haven't checked out AGTV yet, you don't know what you're missing. It's a brand new streaming service from the folks that brought you the American Gospel movies. There are a lot of streaming services out there, but there's only one that specifically chooses all of its content to be theologically sound. If you like American Gospel, if you like my films, head over to watchagtv.com. Use code RIOT to let them know I sent you, and you'll save 10% on your entire subscription. That's agtv.com, code RIOT to save 10%. Hey, Les, this is Clay from South Dakota. I have a would-you-rather scenario I'd like to run past you. Would you rather have the offspring of every animal you've ever eaten challenge you to a duel, or be on a life mission to convert all raccoons to Calvinism? I'd love to hear your answer. Oh, Clay, you're bringing me back to when I was younger and funnier and had less gray hair in my beard. This is, of course, uh, from my other podcast, The Reform Pubcast. This is an actual question one of us came up with to challenge the other. That's a really good question. Oh, nope, nope, I just got it. I just remembered. This is the question that I asked James White when we first had him on the Reform Pubcast. Would you rather fight the offspring of every animal you've ever eaten or try to convert every raccoon to Calvinism? If you go back and listen to that episode, of course, James White wanted absolutely nothing to do with, uh, with our silly little games. I think, for me pretty easy one um i think i'm better at arguing theology than i am at fighting especially fighting animals uh that's let's see cows chickens but it's like that's a lot of offspring um to me so many baby chickens so many i guess they're just babies though it's just the unless some of them have grown up going to make it more challenging. Um, I don't think I've eaten anything. Well, no, I've eaten... Yeah, I've had, like, alligator tail. I'm a Florida man. Um, so i got to fight alligators and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going with uh, with trying to convert all the raccoons to Calvinism. Clay, thank you for the trip down memory lane. Final answer. I'm converting all raccoons to Calvinism. If you'd like to leave a voicemail for the show... You can call 772-324-9328. Your voicemails are integral to this operation that I have going here. Once again, that's 772-324-9328. And if you're feeling especially generous, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating. Uh, If you're feeling even more generous than that, you can type out a little five-star review. I've been reading all the reviews and they truly warm my heart. So if you still see my name on your Christmas list and you can't figure out what to get me, just go over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star rating. On today's show, you're going to hear me be a fangirl for an hour, but we're also uh, talking about standing your ground in the midst of the craziness that's going on in the world today and what it means to not compromise. All that and more today on Gospel Riot. Welcome to Gospel Riot. I'm Les Lanfear. Joining me on the show today, uh, he is the lead singer of Skillet. Can't believe he's on the show right now. His name's John Cooper. John, thank you so much for joining me. What's up? This is, this is, I wish I had written a song called Gospel Riot. Yes. It's not too late, actually. There's still time. It's not too late. <laughs> um, if I could use that as my theme song when you do, that would be fantastic. Okay, that's a deal. That's a deal. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so this is... You know, I've done I've done podcasting for a few years. Uh, this is definitely the most surreal uh, interview I've ever done because, uh, man, I've been listening to your music. Uh, actually, before I was a Christian, I have this memory of my friend and I. We were in the backyard of his house. He grew up. He grew up in a Christian home. I didn't. 
And actually, it's the same friend who shared the gospel with me years later. We're catching fires in the backyard for a school video that we were making, a little movie. I don't know, it was like <laughs> middle school or something. And he was getting these CD samplers in the mail from, it was either HM or Seven Ball magazine. Uh, and there was this song on one of the samplers called Gasoline by this band Skillet. And we used it as like the, the background music for the thing. Soak my heart in gasoline. Uh, and uh, later on when I became a Christian, I made a, a little animated music video for it. It was probably terrible. but um, And then when I did become a Christian, I became obsessed with two bands. It was the OC Supertones and Skillet, <laughs> which is very diverse uh, genres of music for sure. But as I grew, I realized that the thing you guys had in common was you were just solid, like the theology. The Supertones have a song called perseverance of the saints and when i when i learned what that meant i was like wow wow these guys are actually super solid and then obviously your music it's just man so encouraging uh i know you recently said that you or i heard you say that you at least lean post-millennial and that's that's it really has always come out in the music yes oh that's great to hear i i have been post-millennial since college and i would say in the last Three years, I, I've I've become a little less post millennial, but I but I still fall into the post millennial category. Uh, yeah, not that you care that much about exactly that, but just to say, I do. That is why for for twenty years, you can definitely hear those lyrics coming out. I mean, even all the way back to my third record. My third record was ca- actually called Invincible in uh, the year two thousand. And I had a song on there called uh, Come On to the Future. Yes. And, and that was it. I think the lyric was, come on, come on to the future, um, come all the way. The future is arranged. And it was talking about yes. the invisible kingdom. Yeah, the invisible kingdom, it's invaded space and time, and it is growing. And e- every day the kingdom of God is growing bigger, and, and he is giving us more and more. And, and I just think that that's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of light overtaking the kingdom of darkness, right? The darkness shines in the light and the darkness has not overcome it. That's so great. It is. And then like even alien youth and uh, earth, just the idea of you, you earth invasion. Yes. (laughs) You put this picture in my mind of an earth invasion of just the gospel going forward. It was like, seriously, just put strength in my bones to like, yeah, let's get out there. Let's share the gospel. Let's invade this place with the gospel. And that was when I was a really young Christian. It was just so good, man. Mm. And then like your oh, genre, so great. Your genres too. Like you were doing like a like a nine inch nails kind of like uh, industrial electronic thing for a while, and it's so cool to see the yeah. different genre. Were you listening to that kind of music when you were making that kind of music? Yeah, I mean, I think that as a musician, you're always putting, you're always feeding the machine, you know, just like everybody else. You 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 begin to enjoy different things, and doesn't mean you don't love the, what you used to love, but you begin to like something a little different, and you and you add it into the mix. So I think that's one thing. I think that skillet. There's been a lot of things we have not done well. One of the things I think we have done well is we we are absolutely willing to evolve. We're willing to try something something new and. Yes, we were listening to different things, but trying to stay as current as possible because I always believed. I mean, I know it's going to sound cheesy for some people, not for you, because it sounds like because you love music. But I know that a lot of Christians who who love the Bible don't necessarily love like Christian music for various reasons. But but I've always believed that if I am full of the spirit of God, which I am, <laughs> which we are, you know, thank the Lord, Jesus Christ. If I am full of the spirit of God, then it seems to me that the creative nature of God, in which every human being has a touch of because we're made in his image, but it seems to me that the Holy Spirit would set on fire that creative energy and that I would be able to tap into something and and I don't want to get too – I too too weird on you but i love this i love this old testament story of king saul being tormented by demons that God sent, by the way, hello, <laughs> hello <laughs> hello calvinist anyway that god <laughs> sent and they're like well what do i do about this and somebody said well there's this young musician called david that seems to be full of the presence of god 
That's powerful stuff. And David comes and he plays skillfully, full of God, uh, however that works in the Old Testament. You know, David wasn't a saint like we are, but I don't know how that works. But the point is, is that through the music, it brought, uh, you know, some sort of peace to Saul, whatever, however that works. Yeah. That, that affected me when I was in college. And I thought, I want to do that. I wonder if I could be full of the presence of God to write something that indeed may bring someone to Christ, may indeed drive a demon away, may indeed help the king. I know that I'm not making the king. This might not be the right theological way to say it, but through my music, the kingdom of God may advance in someone's life. That would be awesome. Absolutely. So that's my vision for Christian music. Mm. And I, I think part of why people take issue with, you know, Christian music, when, when it becomes so intertwined that, that um, we're using those same kinds of songs in our worship services. It's like, if we could be more honest or just more clear about the fact that there's different purposes for music. Yes. And, and yes. What, what, what's entertaining in a stadium isn't necessarily the right thing for uh, honoring God on Sunday morning in worship. You know what? I think that that is well said. I probably shouldn't add anything to it <laughs> because that was good, but but I will because I'm a lead singer and 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 we're we're uh, narcissistic <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of different. I think there's a lot of different kinds of Christian people, and and honestly, I'm extremely gracious towards all the people I'm going to say because I have friends like all of them. Some Christians that I know that love God and love the Bible. They don't like Christian entertainment at all. And they're like, John, I love you, but I don't really love what you do, to be honest. And that doesn't even bother me, to be honest. Sure. I think that their point of view is like, why do we need Christian entertainment? That That's a ridiculous thing to need. My point of view is that there's nothing wrong with entertainment. In fact, some of those people, because they are extremely uh, a, a high view of Scripture, they don't like Christian entertainment but they like entertainment. Right. In other words, they might be more fine watching something that is PG 13 than a Christian entertainment. That is G, you know? So it's a little bit of a weird twist to me. The reason that Christian entertainment is good is because there's nothing wrong with entertainment. And in, in my view, going to a concert and getting loud or going to a football game, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I kind of believe that the secular world is, clamping down on Christian values. The world hates our values. Even if it's not about Christ, they hate Christian value, Judeo-Christian ethics, family values they hate. Um, Even Americanism they hate at this point. But the idea is that uh, they do not want you talking about Christ at a concert that is glorifying sex, drugs, rock and roll. So uh, it's a shame that Christian music has to exist, but if it doesn't exist, all they do is shun us. They don't give us a platform. So I love Christian music because it gives a platform to do what we do. But what I totally agree with you about is I would nuance it and say, I'm a Christian entertainer. I don't think that you should sing skillet songs at your church. I think you should sing songs about Jesus at your church entertainment is my songs are typically about me. They're about the way that I see the world and, and hopefully they are from a Christian worldview, but it's about what I feel. And then I try to bring the Christian worldview, you know, it through what I feel, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, when we go to church, let's sing about Christ and his perfections. Let's sing about the blood of the cross and grace that set us free and, Let's don't sing about us, mm. you know. So I agree with you about that. And to blur that line just a little bit, one 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 more thing I'll mention before I I actually want to do just a little touch of song exploder behind the music uh, on one of your songs, and I, I just have to because I have you here, even though it's not necessarily on the subject. But uh, your ardent worship album—that's um, the first time I ever heard how deep the Father's love for us, and it mm. was possibly one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. Uh, so that's that's just one one thing I want to throw out there. Oh, man, uh, How Deep the Father's Love, absolutely one of my favorite uh, hymns of all time. It was in my wedding. And uh, when we did that Art at Worship album, it was really funny because Skillet started as two different things. And like you said, it's off topic, but maybe somebody will care sure. out there. Um, Skillet started as two to think radical rock music, but I actually we were about radical 
Christ's transformation. It was about evangelism. And skillets from day one, uh, we always sang a worship song or two at our concerts. It was just part of it. And it was a very, uh, that was before Delirious, okay? That was before Matt Redman. It was before <laughs> all that stuff really hit. Yeah. So, so we were always doing that. So when we did that live worship record, to me, it was very genuine. We weren't trying to become a worship band. But it's just really funny that the Christian market was like, oh, Skillis trying to jump on the, the, the worship bandwagon. But if you listen to the worship album, it's very clear that, that we were still doing something different yes. than the Christian worship genre. This was more about like raw passion. Yes. It wasn't about Christian radio. And a, a hard rock band singing How Deep the Father's Love, that's pretty punk rock. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so now I actually have to dig into the song. Uh, so I'm going back almost 20 years. Uh, your album Collide. Um, you You have a song on that album called Forsaken. Uh, it is, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite songs. Uh, and just, just this past year going through some, some difficult stuff. Uh, I was, you know, running, I put in a playlist and, uh, it just hit me so hard. I, I don't, I don't know if this is like, uh, you know, even if you even remember writing it, uh, cause it was so long ago. So the, the theme of the song essentially is, you know, I remember going madly in love with you. Uh, I remember pledging my soul devotion to you. So it's this, this Christian who had a rich relationship with the Lord at one point. And then throughout the song, it's, um, you know, talking about some desperation this person's going through and uh, pleading with the Lord to hold me closer, please. But then in the refrain, it says, why do I have to beg when all that's left is a memory? There's some complicated stuff going on there. Like mm-hmm. it's, it, there's there's a, a sense in your you're almost uh, putting the guilt on the Lord for the one who's causing you to beg Him. Uh, why do mm. I have to beg you when all I have left is a memory? It's this <laughs> right. thing, which is like, oh man, that's an emotion that so many people have felt. But I mean, how can you put that into words? And then right before the breakdown, you scream, "You're breaking me." So God is the one using this intense situation, this uh, this spiritual angst to break you. That is mm. some heavy theology put over mm. some heavy music, and that man that hits so hard. So I just I'm just wondering. I got to know, like, where did that song come from? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think what is difficult about making Christian art in this scenario is you're, you're trying to express. It could be a situation. It could be the way I feel, but, but you want the way you feel. You don't want to put it out there to the world if it's actually like incorrect, Yes. but you still want to say the things you feel. And I think that, I think we see that in Psalms a lot, don't we? Like yeah. David says things that by the end of the Psalm, you, you realize he, he knows that God hasn't forsaken him, right? Mm-hmm. You know, why have you forsaken me? Why won't God, why won't you stand up against my enemies that are all laughing at me? Yeah. But then at the end, David says, but my hope is in you alone, right? So a lot of times in my songs, I will take what, what I think may be a, a deep theological concept, and I will try to, to, to put it through my own experience if I can. So Forsaken is a song that is very much about, yeah, it's my own hurt. It's my own, I used to feel close to the Lord. And I know mm. we use words like that, but let's just use them. Let's be honest. Perfect. I felt yeah, I felt close to him, and now I don't feel close to him. I know theologically that my position hasn't changed at all, mm-hmm. but I feel far away from him, and I feel like he knows what I'm going through, so why doesn't he meet me and make this better? Why doesn't me? But then I also realize that this isn't on him. This is on me. Mm-hmm. And so what I tried to do in that song is I tried to draw on something that is 
very deep, something I feel really emotional about when I think of the fall of man, when I think of where Adam in, in paradise and Adam has it all, right? He has it all. He gets to walk with God unmarred by sin. He gets to talk with his maker and he has everything that he could possibly need. And it took me into that what was that like when Adam realized what he had done? Wow. And like all that, I, I, why did I do this? Why do I have to beg? Well, all I have left is this memory of paradise, memory of the garden. And it could have been that way. And so I was, I was influenced not only by that, but I was also influenced by a philosopher. And I can't remember who the philosopher was, but the idea, uh, he basically said that all of man, has a feeling that we know why we were born, but we can't remember the answer. And I, that's deep. Wow. And, and that's pretty deep stuff. And so we have this, to me, that speaks to what it says in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Yes. We know, we know that we were made for something and I have a memory of something that I have lost and this is the great news is that Christ says, yes, but I have made a way for you to have it back again. It is the beauty of the gospel. So that is what that song's about. Wow, man. So cool. Well, thank you for that song. You're welcome. And I hope it helped you. Uh, I hope <clears throat> it helped you do some curls. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Workout music for sure. I, you know, I saw that you went on the dividing line. Uh, not too long ago, and that that was yeah. that was a big thing because uh, your your music over the years has become <clears throat> a less less uh, maybe overtly Christian, <clears throat> right? Uh, and and so I wasn't really sure where you were, you know, theologically, uh, and then all of a sudden you pop back on my radar with you know somebody that I know well and that that I absolutely love and have been influenced by, and all of a sudden you're like you're like this reformed dude, I'm like what? This, that's so <laughs> awesome! It all comes full circle. Um, but uh, so so is that something that's kind of changed uh, recently for you or is that kind of where you've always been? Right. Kind of more open about it. Um, let's see. Let's see. Obviously, as with everybody, it's always in flux, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, theology. I will say this. I got I became very serious for, about Christ when I was in college. Let me rewind more, um, if I may. Uh, and I, I know you're going to mention later, but I want to mention that uh, my book came out a few days ago, and I'm very excited about it. Mm -hmm. uh, I wrote a book called Awake and Alive to Truth. But I do tell a little bit of my testimony, which is why I'm mentioning the book. But I gave my life to Christ when I was a kid. My mom was a, a, a Jesus freak. And thank the Lord, by his grace, I never had that backsliding period. I never had that uh, I, I don't want to live for Jesus. I don't know if he's real. I never really had that experience. So thank the Lord. But when I went into college, I became an extremely serious follower of Jesus. Okay. And it was in college that I met a, a pastor who really discipled me. And that is where my reformed roots came in. I, I was born in a Southern gospel church. And I seen, I know now that SBC is SBC is different than it was when I was a kid. We sure. were staunchly Arminian, okay, mm -hmm. staunchly Arminian. So when I gave my life to Christ, I'm sorry, excuse me. When I went into college and I began to get discipled, that is the first time that I began to hear Reformed theology, and it came to me by bits and pieces. The first thing that I swallowed, funny enough, was just the, the, the bigness of the kingdom of God. Uh, I, I don't even know if I'd ever really heard the term kingdom of God before. I mean, I'm sure I had, but I hadn't understood it in a, the best way to describe it is post-millennial sense, really, because I was pre-millennial, you know, rapture, number of the beast, Southern Baptist, you know, and, and all that. So as I began to understand that, and I began to hear about the victorious church, then I all of a sudden realized that I could live a victorious life. That made a, a huge difference. My pastor was like, John, God hasn't made you to be weak. He has already put to death, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, put to death your old man. And he has broken the power of sin over your life. 
you can live victoriously today. And that was a mind, that was a mind blowing thing for me. When I first heard of, uh, <laughs> when I first heard of predestination, it mm. just like really, it really ticked me off. Uh, I was, I was, I was mad for about a week that that's not my God. Yeah, me too. I said um, the same thing. I said, I'll never worship this guy. <laughs> After about seven days, I'm just like, you just cannot argue with these passages of Scripture. You just can't do it. Mm. So anyway, all that to say, I very much swallowed that pill pretty early on in college. But I will say about eight years ago, I became a lot more interested in the depth of theology. And, and I've always loved reading theology books. I'm a huge fan of A.W. Tozer and Piper and so all, all, the, all the people. Yeah. I, I've always loved that. But what I realized that happened— 2012, I just felt like the whole world changed. Everything changed around me. And I didn't understand what was happening, not only in the world, but in, in Christianity. People were talking about the weirdest stuff. After Ferguson, the Me Too movement, all of a sudden people started changing what, what pro-life meant. Now pro-life doesn't even have anything to do with babies. It's actually about helping the poor and, and the immigrant. All of these huh. things started changing. And I was, I was like, okay, I need to get to the bottom of what the Bible says about stuff because I've, ne I've never been confused about my faith like I am now. This is confusing stuff. So I really fell in love with theology in a serious way in 2012. And I became outspoken about it, to be honest with you, a couple of years ago. The reason I did not want to become that outspoken mm -hmm. was because I didn't think I was smart enough. I was like, this is for pastors to do. And what really caused it to happen was that to see so many pastors not speaking it. And I just had this sense of, all right, if pastors aren't going to speak it, and if you know Joshua Harris and Marty Sampson and all these platform people are going to start bad-mouthing Christianity— then I guess I'm going to have to give them a response. And it's after I wrote that response is when I met James White and I began to open up in this entire world of people who were speaking the truth. I just didn't even know it was out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, I'm right there with you. With like, like it's you got to be careful with uh, how much how much authority you try to speak with when you're a layperson, right? And, yes. and that's something I really appreciate about you is you're in a position of where people are listening to you, but you're still very careful to say like, I am not your pastor and your pastor matters and you need to be yes. in your local church. It's like, dude, thank you so much for saying that. Cause that's, that needs to be said. <laughs> oh, amen. It's so important, isn't it? And we're also living in a time again, where a lot of people in my position, uh, whether they're a Christian musician, artist, influencer, whatever, podcaster, a lot of people like us and me and you are telling people not to go to church. Like, like basically, Hey, I'm into Jesus, but I'm done with the church. Mm -hmm. And it's so dangerous yes. and it's so against scripture. It's so against what God's plan for the, the kingdom of God actually is. God obviously wants to advance his kingdom through the church. So I, I just don't see how it's a possibility. So it's really important that we do make that stand. So you you now have a podcast called Cooper Stuff, and it seems like a lot of your emphasis is uh, what's going on in the culture, uh, even yeah. a, even a little bit of like political uh, stuff like that. Maybe not even a little. I guess quite a bit because sure. it, it all works together, especially right now. Just we live in a politicized <laughs> culture. Um, so like, what are you seeing in the world that that you know made you want to make the show and? Uh, yeah, like where where are you at? Why does this show exist? All right, yes, my podcast is called Cooper Stuff. Okay, Cooper Stuff podcast. And tell you the truth, I really didn't want to do a podcast that was controversial. I, I was like, I kind of wanted to just do a podcast where I could talk about biblical truth. I and I'm so naive and so dumb and ignorant that I didn't know it was going to be <laughs> controversial, but. <laughs> Here's here's the God honest truth. The reason I decided to do it, and I won't say any names because I don't want to be mean, but is because a fellow Christian artist was coming out on social media hard after Ferguson and on the opposite side of what I believed. And I was like, 
why is this guy saying this stuff? This stuff is so, in my view, anti-biblical. It's divisive. Mm-hmm. I don't see what this has to do with the gospel. And I also believe that it's 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 based on things that are not actually true, meaning uh, not just biblical truth, but even like what I would call like fake history. Okay. Uh, in other words, it's yeah. that's not actual American history. You're 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 putting your fingers in the in the in the pie and you're and you're you're making a cake and it's not supposed to be a cake. It's supposed to be a pie, right? So I started seeing this stuff. And I started saying, man, this needs a rebuttal because a lot of Christians who view this man as a good man in which he is a good man, but it needs a rebuttal. It needs another voice. And so that is why I hit culture so hard because Christians are like, I don't know. Like, for instance, when Ferguson happened, here's a good example. After Ferguson, I was told on social media by some Christian pastors that a true Christian would never march with BLM. And then I heard from another pastor who I also like that a true Christian would, would definitely march with BLM. And if Jesus would hear, he'd be marching. And the other guys, if Jesus would hear, he would not be marching. And I'm like, dude, I'm a lay person. I'm a dumb rock star. How am I supposed to know how to live when all these people that I trust are telling me different things. Yeah. This is so confusing. So I wanted to make a podcast that's just kind of like theology for dummies. People that are like, well, I don't understand this and this. And I go, all right, here's here's what the history means. This is what this political movement means. Like you, I don't really want to talk about politics, but now the political on the left has become a religious movement. Yes. And so I don't know how to not talk about it because people on the right who no, 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 rewind Christians who used to be on the right are now softening on those political issues in order to win approval of the left. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So now now you've got people who are Christian pastors going, hey. Pro-life is important, but pro-life isn't just about being pro-birth. Being pro-life is also to do with uh, making sure that we give enough tax funds to moms so we can limit the amount of abortions. And pro-life means speaking up for immigrants. And pro-life means ABC. Well, apparently pro-life means to wear a mask as well. Uh, Yeah. It basically means anything that you think makes you feel like a good person is pro that's not what it means. Yeah. They're, they're, they're mixing it up. And so by saying that, it makes me sound like a right wing nut. Yeah. But I'm like, this isn't a right wing issue. This is a issue of abortion. Yeah. It's wrong. It's a life that God ordained. Yeah. That's the end of the story, man. Yeah. And if you dilute that, then you're just you're diluting everything that, you know, that we fought to to at least at least clarify. Like, let's let's yes. let pro-life mean what it means. Yeah, we can talk about those other issues, but let's not. Let's not let it creep into this, you know, <laughs> let's let words, words words have meaning. Exactly. There's seemingly faithful pastors that are coming down on completely different sides of this stuff. Um, like, what what's causing this, in your opinion? Man, I think that there's a lot of things causing it, to be 100% honest with you. You know, one of the things I... Oh, what I, 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 honest to God, I try to be gracious. I don't come across gracious on my podcast, apparently, but I try <laughs> to be. I do think, I do think that there is a place for graciousness that says this. I personally know people that disagree with me that are pastors, and I think that they are fantastic people and they love God. And truthfully, they're, they live more holy lives than I do. A lot of them, they pray more than me. They read their Bibles more. I respect them a lot. We very much disagree on some of this stuff. There is that group of people, but I think that they are misinterpreting some of Jesus's words, to be honest. But there are there's another group of people that really angers me, and I don't believe that they have good intentions. I believe that they just want to make peace with the world, that they want to be relevant to the world to the degree that they don't want to make any enemies. And I, and, I, and I don't have a lot of patience for those people because I believe that they're relevant to the world, but they are irrelevant for the gospel. Yes. They just want peace. They just, can we just get along and I'm on your side and God is love. And then if you go that route, you, you, will, keep, you will keep becoming more liberal and liberal and liberal 
theologically, I'm not even talking about political, I'm not, theologically, you will come to a place of theological uh, liberality that becomes, well, the word of God is malleable and yeah. it can mean different things to different people. And that's a danger. But what I would say on the, the other group of people that I do have respect for, and there's a lot of them out there, I honestly think that it's just a misinterpretation of some really, really important things. And I think, I know that I'm not a theologian, but if, if you want to know what I think, this is what it is. It's, it's a misinterpretation of Jesus's words. Jesus says, the most important commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That has become that and the ethical words of Jesus, like if you if you slap on the right cheek, turn the other cheek, yeah. pray for your enemies. Those have become the framework of an entire theology of Christian pacifism of we don't want to rock the boat. If somebody breaks into my house to hurt my wife, then then they, they can assault my wife. I won't step in and do anything about it because I'm turning the other cheek. It, yeah. It's. Christian pacifism, and now there's a cultural element of Christian pacifism that says, don't want, don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be mean to people. I don't want to step under their whatever. And if they shut down my business and tell me that, that we can't go to church and worship, then you just say, okay, I'll do that out of love for neighbor. I'm putting that all into a thing that I call <clears throat> cultural pacifism. The problem is, is that I know I'm a layman, but you have to mention that the other thing that Jesus said after he said, love the Lord God with your, all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, all of the old, te- all of the, the law and prophets are summed up in this. So what that means to me is that the Old Testament law is a really good thing. It is a great place to look and see what does justice actually look like. Yeah. We don't have any reason to think that that we should do away with an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. We don't have any reason to think, well, that's actually not righteous. It is righteous. It's part of God's law and his law is actually good. So I I think that it's a misinterpretation of that because when you, you put that into perspective, it also changes the way that you see America. And this is the last thing I'll say about it. I just did a podcast on this today. If anybody wants to see it, go to Cooper stuff. It's called Christians gone week. And, uh, that's why it's on my mind so much, but it's an, it's a misunderstanding of America. And, and those Christian pacifists have this idea of it's not good to, to revolt against America, but that's just because they're not understanding what America is. America was founded. The government made a contract with us yes. that they will not overstep these boundaries. So it's not revolution for us to say, Hey, you're not allowed to tell me that I can't go to church and take the Lord's supper while it's okay for me to go to a strip club and drink liquor mm-hmm. that you're not allowed to do that. It is the government revolting against their own contract. It's not us revolting against them. See, that makes me sound like I'm talking about politics, but it's not, it's true history of Americanism. And you're just bringing back Judeo Christian law that Americanism was built upon. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's 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 excellent, and and you know it's it's so frustrating to watch people who just say sane things about what America is supposed to be and what Christianity is supposed to be, or being labeled as conspiracy theorists, and like there, you you can't even like find any media that that represents this side of things anymore. It's it's getting bad out there, man. <laughs> it's a it's a very strange. I mean, I think no one knows what to believe. And, uh, you know, mentioning my, my book again, that's the whole reason I wrote the book. I mean, I wasn't planning on writing this. I just did all of this research. <laughs> I did all this research because of my actual confusion of why are my friend, why are my Christian friends all of a sudden saying things that are anti-biblical? Why are my Christian friends all of a sudden, uh, they say they love Jesus, yet they're leaving their wives and kids for other lovers, why are my Christian friends saying, I don't really want to be a part of the church anymore? I don't, think that, I don't think that being a Christian has anything to do with going to church. Why are they saying these things? And I did a lot of research. And what the book is about is the fact that society at large, not just in America, all over the globe, 
we do not believe that there's such a thing as absolute truth. Yeah. We don't believe that it even exists. So we're not even arguing about what truth is. They don't believe that there's such a thing as absolute truth. So once relativism becomes the norm and it's the way that you look at the world, like your truth and my truth and, you know, a, a, and a, a black experience of truth that, that only black people can understand and a Latino truth that only Latino people can understand, a woman's truth that all women. You know, once you do all those things and once you get that into your worldview, then you can make the Bible say anything that you wanted to say and you can make politics say anything you wanted to say. It's yeah. it's just a recipe for chaos. And that is kind of why I started writing this book, actually. Uh, well, I think that you're a really good example of uh, of someone who who historically hasn't compromised. Um, so I had some people call in with some voicemails. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with John Cooper. This episode of Gospel Riot is brought to you by Stonecrop Wealth Advisors, a full-service financial planning and investment advisory firm that focuses on the needs of seminaries, Christian colleges and schools, churches, and various other nonprofit parachurch ministries. Those groups are generally known as small endowment market, meaning entities with tens of thousands of dollars all the way up to $50 million. Stonecrop firmly believes that these assets need to be managed in a manner that is congruent with the mission, vision, and values of the entity. Stonecrop is led by Doug McRae, a board member at a well-known East Coast seminary. He has a background that includes full-time missions work, law practice, investment consulting, and management services. If you lead a nonprofit whose portfolio needs better management, give Doug McGray at Stonecrop a call at 610-628-4545 or look them up at stonecropadvisors.com. Stonecrop's investment advisory services are offered through Stonecrop Wealth Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. This information is intended for informational purposes only. It should not be construed as legal or tax advice and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified attorney or tax advisor. This information is not an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Welcome back to Gospel Riot. I'm here with John Cooper. We're going to listen to some voicemails. What would you say to Christians whose extended family all insist on embracing the so-called moral revolution? Family members going by new trans names, using gender-fluid pronouns and the like at their holiday gatherings or family Zoom meetings, since many families will not be meeting in person this year. And what would you say to parents of younger kids staring this revolution in the face? Is there a fighting chance to keep them from being swallowed whole? And what does that fight look like? Holy smokes. So, And a lot of this stuff is like pastoral, okay, again, pastoral questions. So, you know, take this all with sure. a grain of salt, uh, those listening, but go ahead. Yes. No, that's, that's a fantastic question. And that is good advice. I, I'm not your pastor. I will give you my opinion. Yes. Uh, but I, I'll give you my opinion also as a parent. I have two kids. Um, uh, my kids are 18 and 15, FYI. I mean, I think there's some really important things here. I cannot stress to you enough, and I learned this from my pastor. A lot of people might already know this, how important the role of the parents are in teaching your kids biblical truth. And I know that might sound obvious, but my pastor branded it into me uh, when I was a, a young parent. And I just said, fine, I'm every single day in my daily conversations with my kids, I am going to have conversations with them that help them understand the way that God views his world, the way that God created his world in order to work. Mm -hmm. And it is so important, small things, but also big things, right? So your job as a parent is not, I hope this is encouraging to somebody. I know it's obvious, but I hope it's encouraging to somebody out there that goes, Hey, I work all week long. I'm exhausted. My kids go to Sunday school. They'll learn that stuff at church. Uh, maybe their Sunday school teachers are a better teacher than me. That is not the role of the parent, that especially, I believe, the role of the father in the home. The father in the home is to instruct the child in the way they should go. Yes. So your job is really important, okay? So um, I can guarantee you, if you don't know this already, the school system is already teaching your kids at age four, pre-K, that those children need to decide what gender they are. And they tell, they tell those kids, 
Your parents don't have anything to do with this. Your friends can't tell you. Your parents can't tell you. This is your decision to come back to school and tell us what gender you are and what you want to be called. So you need to know that that is going on. The way that I personally deal with this stuff, I don't know. I think that it's still, I'm still in flux with it, to be 100% honest with you. I feel like if it was a family member that came, here's a good example. I have a family member when I, uh, he was a brother-in-law. And when I met him, his name was, his name was Joff, (laughs) J-O-F-F. And uh, after five years of knowing him and calling him Joff, he said, hey, guys, I'm, I'm actually changing my name to Jonathan, going back to my original name. Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, it's, it's kind of weird to, go to, to learn a new name, but yeah. he's my friend. I don't really care if that's what he wants. Yeah. I think there's a difference between the stances that we make in truth and that we make from a pulpit or from a podcast, the stances that we teach our kids. And then the relational things that happen every single day. I mean, I've got half the people that work for me are atheists and I don't care what their sexual preference is or what they believe or what they want to be called. It doesn't really matter to me because we are friends and my biggest prayer, my biggest prayer for them is that they will be brought into the kingdom of Christ through me showing them um, uh, unconditional love, whether they hate what I believe or not, I'm praying for them. And so I think that there might be a difference in the way that we communicate on a personal level. Not that we give in on truth, not that people don't know where we stand because that's not true friendship, right? That's, that's lying to someone and that's not actually an intimate friendship, but saying, this is where I stand on something yet. I don't hold it against you. And I kind of see that in the way that the Christ himself Zacchaeus, I want to come hang out at your uh, at dinner. And we know there's drunkards and immoral people there and Christ is there. And my assumption is that whether they all recognize the truth of Christ, he was still open about the truth and he was still willing to have dinner with them. I mean, that's what we that's what it seems like to me anyway. Yeah, that is a very I mean, it's just like the ongoing challenge of, of being a Christian, uh, at least one who's seeking some kind of balance is standing for truth while not while trying not not to have that truth uh be unnecessarily judgmental yeah because truth truth in and of itself is it judges people yep and if they if they're on the wrong side of that truth then yeah it's it's going to be it should be convicting to them but but we can't be the holy spirit at the same time so that balance is you know it's the it's that's tough constant struggle it is for me too. I always have to tell myself every day, Lord, will you help me remember that people who are not born of the spirit are not going to act like they're born of the yeah, spirit. Yeah. They're born of the flesh. And that that's not up to me. There's nothing I can do to convince them. Otherwise that's the Holy spirit's work. So amen. I'm, it's hard. And, and to the, to the kids thing, this is just something that, uh, I, I think it, cause you're talking about, you know, teaching your kids obviously. And that's, I think that's interesting. It's, it's one thing to, to, uh, to collide with the people that are in this culture right now that are taking these positions. But I, I think that really is the most important thing you can do is to pour a better worldview into your own children. So, yeah. so you have this, so there's at least some ammunition out there in the next generation. Which, I, you know, yeah. that's really important. I'll say one more thing about that. Yep. Only because sometimes older people, even if when I say older people, what I mean is people our age yeah. <laughs> and older in their 40s, 50s, 60s, even if they are really built in the word, sometimes they don't quite understand how much the world has changed, mm-hmm. uh, the philosophies of the world, because America 30 years ago, even an atheist, I mean, an atheist person 30 years ago was, had more of a Christian worldview, you know, cause they were yep. born into the culture that was built upon that. And so the way they viewed the world, this is going to shock some people An atheist ver- viewed the world more through a Christian worldview than most Christians view the world in 2020. Absolutely. And that is a frightening thought, but mm, it's true. Great so point. got to understand that. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and so, so what I, what I would say, uh, something I really emphasize, uh, in the reformed tradition, it's always sort of been there, this idea of family worship. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, John, mm. but, 
Uh, no, yeah. I'm not. So you, we so the reform tradition has kind of always done this, and uh, it's something that I discovered fairly recently in the past five years or so, and it's it's a game changer. But really, it's just it's as simple as you have dinner every night. Well, why not also feed your family? So there's this formal time, maybe 15 Wonderful. minutes. Wonderful formal time, 15, 15 minutes or so. You sing a song, a hymn, maybe get get some hymnals. You sing a song. You spend some time reading scripture. The father explains. Uh, a little bit of the scripture, and then you pray. These very simple things. And then as you lay your head on the pillow at night, you've checked off the list. I have washed my wife with the word. Check. I have raised my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Check. Uh, And so at least you can say you've done that. And then when you send your kids out the door, when they're going off to college or whatever, you can say, I taught you Jesus every day. Now it's up to you. You know, take this and do the same with your children. I love this. This is like that's exactly what Christian parenting should be. Could not agree with that more. And, and part of part of that also, we do that. We've always done that with our kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that also comes from my I'm going to I'm going to shock some people. But I also in college, it was reformed, charismatic background. <laughs> right, right. So it was very much the hey, we're going to sing to God. We're going to raise our hands to God. We're going to clap to Jesus. And I don't care if my kids are two or three years old, they ain't going to be playing with toys while mommy and daddy are worshiping. You give the creator all of your attention when you sing to him. I couldn't say, I couldn't, I couldn't love what you just said more. It's so wonderful. Awesome. Uh, all right, let's do another one. Hey, Liz, this is Clay Connery from South Dakota. I was just wondering if you think that people or churches that have struggled to reopen in the face of the COVID lockdowns are struggling with compromise? Great question. Yeah, it is a great question. Let me say this. I have never been more thankful that I am not an elder or a pastor yes. at a church. Yes. <laughs> I mean, oh, I, I'm very close with my, uh, my eldership and my pastors at, at my church. In fact, my father-in-law is still one of the elders at my church, even though he's in his seventies, it is such hard work. And these people, these people are having to live with, with two things. One side where they're looking at this going, yes, COVID is real, Mm -hmm. but it, it's not a 50 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 10% death rate. It's a small death rate for a certain group of people and we kind of know who that group of, of people are and we don't want to be fearful and we need to be meeting as the people of God because it's important. Leaders are holding that, but they're also holding to that small group of people at churches who call in and are like, I can't believe that you would open up your church yeah. and not love your neighbor by putting them in, in, in death's way, in death's doorstep. Yeah. They're having to live with people that they've gone to, that they've been pastoring and shepherding for decade, two, three, four decades, who they love and they have affection for and are calling them saying, you're literally putting me in danger. And I thought you were a better man than that. And then you have the the very real possibility that the <clears throat> the nightly news will like, you know, show your parking lot filled and, and make you look like the worst people in the world. Well, yeah, not to mention that, right? <laughs> exactly. So I, I just really feel for them. Here's what I would say. On my social media, on my podcast, to be honest, I have come out kind of hard about it, saying, mm-hmm. hey, it's time for pastors to quit being weak. It's yep. time to, 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 to grow a backbone, okay? But at the same time, un- saying, there are some pastors that I do believe have good hearts. As I said earlier, mm-hmm. they are going, hey, we need to love people. And, and they're saying the church isn't a building. The church isn't that we have to meet. And, and that, of course, is true. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I want to say is I don't want to just blanket and say, yeah, everybody that does it is a weakling. Yeah. And it's because of the sissification of American pastors or men in America. I don't want to do a big blanket thing, but I do think that that is in large part, there's a pretty big issue. And I do think it's to do with some of those issues. Yeah. I mean, like thinking about California, imagine being a pastor in, in California, right? Oh, I, like, I, I don't know what it's like. I, I, mean, I didn't even mention that you're in Kenosha. So the, yeah. uh, the, the name Gospel Riot is especially meaningful to you. Uh, yes. But uh, the, yeah, if you're in, in California, they're they're literally just threatening to b- bankrupt your entire church if you, if you open your doors. 
Like, it's insanity. How do you deal with that? I've, you know, that's crazy. the reason that I say that. It, to me, to me, I, I do think it's also important to to break out. Dip, in other words, it's not hitting every state and mm-hmm. every city and in, in the same way. Sure. And so when it hit here, like my church just reopened again, and I am not willing to say that my elders are sissies and and weak because yeah, it's a real thing. Our hospitals were getting overrun and people that had cancer or diabetes or a broken leg are having a hard time getting into hospitals Mm -hmm. because they're getting up. Well, that's a real thing. I think you need to put that into perspective, but you look at California and you say, okay, I can go to a strip club, but I can't go to church. You can, you can have more people at a liquor store than you're allowed to have at Thanksgiving. When I look at that, I say, this, this smells like tyranny. Mm-hmm. This doesn't smell like loving your neighbor to me. This smells like tyranny. That's right. Okay. Uh, so when you emailed me about doing this podcast, you said something about the movie Calvinist. Yeah. So what, what was your involvement with that? Um, creator, director. I, 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 it's, it's a documentary, so there's not, it's not the hardest thing in the world. But I made the entire film myself okay you did make it okay great i i didn't remember if you said you produced it or what you said but i really love the film uh james white sent it to me uh, a few months back and i i really loved it enjoyed watching it and i made my wife watch it with me so i watched it twice I was like, awesome. you know, watch this great film so i really enjoyed um everything you had in there great work on that yeah so so that is the most surreal thing that i've experienced so far is this dude that i <laughs> that i have gleaned so much encouragement from uh now you've full circle seeing something I made and uh, uh, that's that's so great um, and if you're if you I mean you said you really like that family worship thing I mentioned uh, I made an, another movie called Spirit and Truth and it's all about uh, reformed oh. reformed worship and it talks about you know the Lord's Day I don't know just some of the more distinct uh, reformed things in the same sort of style as Calvinist so I'll send you a link it, to that uh, please, please do I absolutely cannot wait to watch it awesome uh, well, hey, why don't you tell us about what you have going on? Okay, biggest thing I have going on is I just released the book, as I you know, already said. Uh, sorry if it sounds like I'm promoting it too much, guys, but no, it is good. called Awake and Alive to Truth. It is only available on my website, johnlcooper.com. If you want to go straight to the book, you go johnlcooper.com slash awake. And let me just tell you quickly, who this book is good for. Mm-hmm. This book is very evangelistic and it is great, not just for somebody maybe that doesn't know the Lord. It's great for people that are like, I'm not even interested in talking. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to talk about it. It's too, whatever. if you're looking for something simple to give to them, it's a great book for that. But it's also good. I am finding, uh, while we've been here at home at COVID, my wife and I started leading our young adult group at my church, which is a whole other story. <laughs> and uh, uh, we didn't have anybody to do it. And we saw a need. And I said, hey, I'm home anyway. We'll do it. So what I'm finding with young adults, there's even a lot of truly born again Christians who really don't understand their faith. Um, they really haven't been taught worldview. They haven't been taught original sin. A lot of them think that, that Christ died for them, but they also believe that they were born good. Right. You know, stuff, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. they just don't know anything about what it means to be a Christian. So this book is very encouraging for people like that. And it tells my testimony, but it gives you two very clear paths of how to found, find truth. One path leads to life found in the eternal words of Christ that never change in the scriptures. The other path leads to death, and that is found in yourself looking within your own guiding light and your own emotions and your feelings and, you know, you using your own brain and logic to try to find what truth is, it's going to lead you to death. So I, yeah. man's heart is deceitful, right? Uh, above all things. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, and, uh, your podcast, Cooper stuff. Tell us about that. Yeah. Cooper stuff. It comes out every Monday. Um, and Cooper stuff, as you already mentioned, what I try to do is take the cultural moment of the day because I, I, I love culture. I love sociology. I love those confusing things of the day that, that kind of where political philosophy inter, interacts with like an event that you see. Like you see a riot on TV and you see people say, well, it's OK to riot because of, of, um, of you know, colonialism. All I'm doing is revolting against colonialism. So it's OK to burn this house down. Right. 
when you see those kinds of things, we need definition. So I enjoy saying, here's what that means from political philosophy standpoint. Here's a simple answer. No nonsense. This is what the Bible says. You can't go and burn down someone else's farm or, or someone else's land, yeah. according to Old Testament law. So you can't do that now. So I, I enjoy that no-nonsense, stand-up-for-your-faith type stuff. Excellent. John, thank you so much for being here. This was, this was so awesome. I loved it. I'm so glad you had me on. I appreciate everybody. I hope they had fun. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time.